they don't always end well. First Corinthians chapter nine. Good morning. I don't know if, if yeah, thank you, Josh. If you, I don't know if any of you are like me, but if uh, if my routine gets shaken up even a little bit, it throws me off. So that was this morning. All the uh, the bus kids were are fighting colds and coughing and everything else. So they said they're not coming, which throws puts my schedule back. I don't have to leave as early, and then I'm late. That's usually how it happens. I'm like, oh, I got time, and then I'm late. First Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I'm not going to review a whole lot, but does anybody remember what we started talking about last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8? What is the topic, just the, the overall header? It's, it's chapters 8 through 10. Brother Eric? Yep, well, so that's the specifics of it. Uh, what what a, And we call it what, Brother Josh? So, so these three chapters are talking about we have, I can't tell you the word or I'm going to, Christian liberty. Christian liberty is the word I'm looking for, or the two words I'm looking for. So verses, uh, chapters 8 through 10, we're talking about Christian liberty. In chapter 8, we, it does talk about meats offered to idols and all that, but the whole idea that, that Paul's trying to get across is we have the liberty to eat the meats, but don't eat them if it's going to offend a brother, is, is what we talk about. And I've talked a lot with uh, Nitten this week about that because uh, it's something he actually will deal with this specific topic of eating meats that have been offered to idols and he said you know he he actually struggled with this when he first got saved because he lives lived in an Indian uh, neighborhood there in the apartments and had friends that he works with or that his kids are that Johan is friends with that actually invited him for different things that he knows. So one of the specific things is, and he'll, he's probably going to watch this, so I may be wrong, but um, they make a, a Indian cake for, for a different holidays, and I think it's called Diwali, which they just had. But a year ago, he had somebody come to him and say, hey, happy Diwali, and gave him a cake, which he knows it's not been sacrificed to a Hindu god, but it's, it's made in honor of that. And so he, he said, you know, when that happened, he said, no, thank you. And, and he's like, and I, I know they were offended, but what am I supposed to do? I'm a Christian now. And so he said, when, you know, when we went over this last week, it's very enlightening, eye-opening to say, wow, we, you actually could. Just don't ask him, did you sacrifice this or did you offer this to a God? You just take it, thank you. And you have the Christian liberty to eat it. And then we got into the topic of, uh, you know, he has friends now that, wish him a happy Diwali, which is very much a Hindu um, um, holiday. And he said, is it wrong to wish them, wish that back to them? Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's one of them things, we talked about it quite a bit, you know, I, I said, I, I don't think it's wrong to, but not go out of your way. If you're going out of your way saying, hey, Kevin, happy Diwali, I think that's wrong. You're, you're going out of your way to acknowledge this uh, holiday that's to Hindu gods, but um, Paul definitely addresses that here in chapter 9 now, it, specifically when he says, I became all things to all men. And we'll get to that in a second, um, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but basically anything is fair game, as long as it doesn't cross the boundaries of what the Bible says to do. And, and we're going to talk about that in a second, some, some, some specifics of Christian liberty. Christian liberty 
is not given to us so that we can find a th- some verse in the Bible that, that uh, allows maybe a, something we think might be a sin, but we find a verse that says, well, it's fine here. That's not what Christian liberty is for. Christian liberty is given, and we have Christian liberty, and we're going to look at this today. It's there so that we can maybe go outside the box a little bit to, to find a, a, bring a soul to Christ, but it's not sin. That's exactly what he's addressing in chapter 8. You can eat the meat offered to idols. You can um, in an effort to be all things to all men because we talked about this last week. They still had neighbors. They still had family that were going to be inviting them to some of these different things. And Paul is saying, it's fine. Don't, don't, necessarily, don't be a part of the, the sacrificing. Um, in chapter 10, verse 25... We read this last week. He says, whatever is sold in the shambles, eat it, asking no question for your conscience sake. So it's so that you can live in this world, try to not be of this world, but you have to do these things. And that's the Christian liberty. It's not to go out of our way and say, well, I can listen to this specific music or I can do this specific thing that I like doing that the preacher might preach against, but I like it and I have Christian liberty to do it. That's not what it's for. It's so that we can go out of our way to be all things to all men as long as we're in the bounds of the principles of the Bible and, and not, it's not even necessarily look weird to the world. We're going to look weird to the world. We're going to seem strange to the world. We're peculiar people. But if you're out in the workforce you, and you work a job or, or you're uh, even, even neighbors in, an, in your neighborhood, you, I, I do specific things at work um, to come across to them as, this, he's a Christian, but he's a normal guy. He's not weird. We're not trying to be weird to these people by being so different. We're peculiar already. So we don't have to be weird to them to show them, I'm different. They know we're different. And now we're trying to show them, I'm different, but I'm not a weird person. Christians don't have to be weird and in an effort to win them to Christ. All right, if, if somebody thinks you're extremely strange, we do this. You think a neighbor's extremely strange, what do you do? You avoid him. You're like, let, just let him do his thing. We don't, what, I don't know what he's got going on. And you don't want to be that at work, right? So, and I'm not saying, well, yeah, I go to the bar with them because I have Christian liberty to do that, to be all things to all men. That's not what I'm saying either. But um, that's what Christian liberty is for, and you'll see that here in chapter 9 with Paul. So what we're looking at in chapter 9 is... Uh, chapter 8 was kind of an overview of Christian liberty, but he gives an, a specific example, meat eat, given uh, offered to idols. Now in chapter 9, he gives his, his um, testimony, so to speak, talking about himself and how he uses Christian liberty. All right, that's what we're going to talk about here in chapter 9. Let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, allowing us the freedom to have it and to read it whenever we please. And God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we'd be students. God, I pray that we would take advantage of the freedoms that we have and be students of your word. And God, I pray that as we study this this morning, we would understand a little bit better what it means to be uh, a Christian and how we interact with the world so that we can win souls for you. God, I pray that you'd help us to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but going through this world unspotted by it, So that when we get to the end of our lives, you can say, well done, uh, my good and faithful servant. And I pray that you would 
Uh, just help us to strive for that each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? And the first question I have for you today is, what are the three, the three requirements uh, for apostleship? What were the three requirements that a person had to have to be an apostle? It didn't automatically make them an apostle, but they had to have these three things. Brother Josh, you, can you give me one or two? They had to be taught by Christ. And uh, Paul, after Christ dies, is still persecuting the church, right? So how does he meet that requirement? Well, if you look back, I can't remember what book it's in, but he talks about how he was taught by Christ in Arabia. And he says, I wasn't taught by another apostle. I was taught by Jesus Christ himself. And it's so we don't have a lot of details about that, but he talks about being taught by Jesus. So that fits that requirement, even though he wasn't a disciple of Christ while he was alive. He was taught by Christ uh, very specifically. So that's the first one. Does anybody know another one? Another requirement? Well, Josh, give me another one. Um, there had to be evidence of it. And so if you look in um, verse 1. This is what he's saying, because remember, when we first started talking about 1 Corinthians, there were people, we talked about people uh, uh, opposing his apostleship, saying, you're not, you're not an even apostle. You know, some of the ones that maybe were following Peter or following um, Apollos were looking at Paul and saying, you're not even an apostle. Um, but here in, in, in chapter 9, then, he fits that requirement as well. In verse 1, are not ye my work in the Lord? So evidence of, not maybe not supernatural work, but evidence of the power of God in his life. And he says, you are my evidence. What you've done here, or what I've done here in the church that has started, and the souls that have been rescued from Satan, and the lives that have been changed, that is the evidence of my legitimate apostleship. And then the third thing, they may know that. Perfect. They had to have seen him alive after his resurrection. Okay. And Paul very likely, well, if he's an apostle, he would have seen him not in a good way. He was trying to destroy him, but he would have seen Christ uh, because he was a contemporary with Christ. And as soon as Christ ascends, Paul is after the church. As soon as it gets started, he goes after the church and he's fighting. But he's not, you know, it's not uh, Christ ascends, Paul is born and starts attacking the church. He's, he's probably mid-20s, late, uh, early 30s, attacking the church here. So he would have seen Christ in his earthly ministry. So those are the three things, and that's what Paul says. Am I not an apostle? He's trying to prove his apostleship, but not necessarily um, prove it, but making an argument for it. He's, he's saying, I, I am an apostle. I'm not, he doesn't try to prove it, but he tries to point them to say, look, th these are the reasons. So then verse 2, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. He goes back to them again and says, look how your lives have been changed. That's proof enough uh, that God is using me as an apostle to, to start, to help start the early church. Um, so 
Let's, I'm going to go to a couple verses here. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And if you can keep up with me, great. If not, you could just sit and, and let me get to them. Uh, sometimes I write them down. I did not this time. So Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Uh, Paul says this. Now, one of the requirements was he had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Paul very likely would have seen Christ, actually seen him. But this is... Uh, chapter 9, verse 17 of Acts. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So, would have seen him alive after the resurrection in person, but also on the road to Damascus, he saw Christ. The, the, the blinding light that he saw that blinded him for three days and knocked him off his horse, he saw Christ. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8, just a few uh, backup references is what we're looking at here. Chapter 15, verse 8, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Um, and I was thinking this as I was studying. I'm like, that's, that's, how I, that's typically how I am. It seems like everybody gets, you know, if, if something difficult is being taught, everybody understands it. I'm sitting there like, why don't I, why don't I get what's going on? And I just stay quiet and hope, hope, hope that I figure out what's going on. That's kind of what happened with Paul here. All the apostles have walked with Christ. Uh, they've been taught by him for three and a half years and not Paul. And that's what he says. I was, I was apostle as one born out of due time, but I did see Christ. Uh, so another evidence there. And then <clears throat> authenticating signs we talked about. But in verse one, there's a couple other references where Paul talks about the things he's done. But he, he points back to the success of his ministry often for proof of these, this evidence of power that an apostle had to have. Um, so, I wrote this down because Paul says in verse 2, he's kind of appealing to, not their sympathy, but appealing to the, the change in their lives. He says, if, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal uh, of mine apostleship are ye in the, in the Lord. And so he's kind of reproving them because this letter is to the church at Corinth. So he's not reproving the church at Jerusalem for not acknowledging his apostleship. He's reproving the church at Corinth because, like again, we go back to the divisions that they had in the church. There were some there in the church that have been saved under the ministry of Paul that have now said, I don't even think he's an apostle. I'm going to follow Cephas which he addressed and said, don't, don't follow man, right? We, we already talked about that in chapter 1, first thing. But now he's saying, uh, surely at, you can at least see the change in your lives to acknowledge uh, what I've done. And, and if nobody's going to see me as an apostle, surely you would. <clears throat> Matthew Henry says this, It is no strange or new thing for a minister to meet with very unkind returns for great good for great goodwill to a people and diligent and successful services among them. Do you ever, you ever notice that? It seems like uh, pastors get the, the brunt or maybe the, the worst, uh, they see the worst in people, at people's actions toward them. A pastor pours his life out, gives all of his time and effort uh, to see people's lives better, to see people's lives changed and they get attacked. I mean, vicious. You wouldn't do that to, seems like you wouldn't do that to anybody else. But pastors take that brunt. And that's what Paul's kind of appealing to here. Uh, 
you know, you, you've seen your lives changed. At least you should uh, acknowledge that I'm an apostle. So all he's doing here as far as his Christian liberty in these first couple of verses is showing the evidence of the rights that he has. Uh, he's not just a regular old teacher, even though he's, you know, every Christian has these liberties. He's an apostle. Then he says, uh, starting in verse 3, the extent of the rights that he has. And we touched on this last week, uh, about or two weeks ago, about marriage. And when he, when he uh, says, I, I can marry if I want, right? And he says that uh, in verse 5. Uh, but in verse 3, he says, My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? And by power, he means, don't I have the right, the Christian liberty to eat and to drink whatever I, I want? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He's saying these other apostles are married and have, have wives, they have families. I have the right to do that. Um, verse 6, he, he addresses something else that a lot of the other apostles don't have to do. Or I only and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? Paul and Barnabas at this point are supporting themselves. They're not taking any money from the church at Corinth. And that's what he's addressing here. Do, do I have the power to stop working and basically require of you to, to take care of my financial needs? I do. It's the rhetorical questions. I do have the power to do that. Um, and then he doesn't, because they're rhetorical, he doesn't answer them, but he starts giving them exam, examples. Verse 7, who go with a warfare any time at his own charges? Who, what soldier goes to war and doesn't, doesn't require a paycheck? Yeah, they're doing it for love of country, for love of freedom or whatever else, but they still, you got to pay them. That's their, lively, that's, their, that's their job. That's their livelihood. They're, they're a soldier. Uh, who planted the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? And then he says, and I'm not just saying this as a man. Hey, this is common sense. Verse 8, <clears throat> he says, say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? And he goes, refers back to Deuteronomy. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the ox, mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God not care for the oxen? Which then begs the question, did God write that for the oxen? So the oxen could say, hey, you're not supposed to muzzle me. No, it was for the, the men doing the work of the ministry. He's saying, we don't, it's, it's the law to not even muzzle the ox that's treading out the corn. Then why should we not pay a minister of, of God? And Paul is not asking for money here. He's saying it's not a requirement to take that money. Because in my Christian liberty, I have opted to work so that I'm not a burden to you all. Why? And uh, verse 10, or saith he, well, I think it's in verse 15, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. So what he's saying there is I've opted in my Christian liberty so that, and I, and I don't know the reason why. The Bible doesn't really say. It says why he did it so that his glorying wouldn't be void. But he doesn't say because of this person. And I, I think I understand what he's saying here. There are some, uh, and Pastor talked about this last week, about the church not being run by deacon boards and committees and things like that. Because there are some that say or that, that do this, we pay your paycheck. You will do what we say. 
And that's what Paul's trying to avoid here, I believe. He's saying, because you're not going to make my glory in void. I preach the gospel because Christ has called me to that, not because I need to do it for a paycheck. And I think that's really the point of what Paul is saying here. So in his Christian liberty to opt out of being supported by the church at Corinth, he has opted out so that nobody in the church can say, the only reason you're surviving is because of us. So he works a job, he makes tents so that he can support himself so that this weak church at Corinth that he's starting to realize how weak they actually are can't say we're the ones making you successful, that my glorying would be void because of, because of taking that support. Now, he took support from other churches at this point, um, but not the church at Corinth. And I got ahead of myself. So uh, I wrote this down. A true preacher should be ready to preach to God's people even without pay. But that does not make it right for God's people to deny God's minister what is due him just because he doesn't require it. God's man should be well taken care of without having to beg for it. And I, and I truly believe that. And sometimes, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a mark on us, on, on our church, if our pastor walks around in rags. And I think you probably would agree with that. The pastor, a good pastor, a good somebody, just like he preached last week, who's doing his best to lead God's people in the way that they should go, is not going to require more money. They trust that God's going to take care of them, and that's part of being a good pastor. But then it doesn't. It's then it's not allowed for the church to be like, we got the money, but he doesn't. He doesn't make us. You know, he's not asking for it. Let's just save it. That's that's wrong as well. So just because he doesn't require it, uh, we should not withhold it from him. We should take care as a church of God's man as well as we possibly can, brother. Yeah, so um, I, I think that's part of the reason why it is good to have a deacon or two, so that because you're exactly right. Now, um, we have a treasurer and we have uh, uh, finance. The finance is not necessarily taken care of by our pastor. So I don't think it's wrong for the pastor to go and say, hey, to, to those type of people, or even the deacon to say, hey, I'm really struggling, you know. But. What we've had in the past is men in the church come to other men in the church and say, hey, he hasn't had a raise in five years. Do you think we should probably bump that up? And then and that's what we do. So I think that's that's the way it's supposed to happen is the, the men or, you know, the people in the church uh, are. What's the word? Um, not united, but. But aware enough to be like, hey, we're all getting raises at work. God's man needs a raise. And so we come together and, and um, you know, if it's not in the budget, that's where we give more sacrificially. I, I believe that. Um, but God's man should be taken care of. So, yeah, that's how that would be initiated, I believe. Um, not really, you know, the point, the point I'm trying to make, but it is a good point. Um, not to call out names, but we've had Brother John do that in the past. Hey. What's he going to do when his vehicle wears out? Are we paying him enough to be able to go buy another one? And it's a, it's a legitimate question. It's a good question. And so we went and said, you know, we went and talked to pastors said, hey, and he was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Okay, that means that's a problem that needs to be taken care of. So now we set aside a, a, a amount of money per month toward the next vehicle that they will need to buy. So, um, all right. So Paul... 
is talking about his authority here, and, and we get all the way through verse 14. He's saying, I can require it of you. I don't because I don't want to make my glory void. Verse 16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He said, I don't have a choice, and it's not a requirement of you. It's a requirement of Jesus Christ that I preach. So whether I make money doing it or not, God's going to take care of me, but I'm going to do it. Um, I got so far ahead of myself, I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. All right, so uh, Matthew Henry says this. Okay, before I get to that. So Paul is saying, yeah, I'm so far ahead of myself. Hold on. Okay, verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, preach, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Paul is, Paul is, is telling them his requirement of, from Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. And for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. So here he gets into the specifics of his Christian liberty. Um, verse 19, I'm free from all men, but I've made myself a servant to the gospel, not because you're requiring of, it be, of me because I, you pay my paycheck, but because I, Christ requires it of me. Um, and so Paul says this, starting in verse 20, and this is a passage we're very familiar with. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Uh, to them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this is what I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this lesson. Anything within the bounds of the principles of God's word, he was willing to do so that he could go win some. There were some that believed that they were not to go to the Gentiles. And you see that with Peter for a long time. He wouldn't go to the Gentiles. Uh, doesn't mean, uh, I think that in a way he was wrong, but I think that his, his uh uh, conviction was so strong that, that he was to go to God's people because that was God's command to him that he didn't go to the Gentiles at all. And Paul finally does go to them. But Paul, Paul this is the gist of what Paul does. And, and I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 5. Hopefully this is the verse I'm thinking that it is. Galatians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul basically says that I will yield, and it's interesting that we're going over um, standards and preferences and convictions and things like that on Sunday nights because he's saying I will yield in matters of preference to anybody but I'm unyielding in matters of principle Galatians 2 verse 5 to whom we gave place by subjection no not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you so Paul Paul is saying in a matter of preference I'm not even going to fight with you we'll do that if it's your preference, that's what we'll do, as long as it's within the bounds of the Bible. And that, remember, if you remember the, what uh, Pastor was teaching, a preference is not a conviction or a standard that we've got to hold. It's a preference. Something that, you know what, I feel like this is something that I need to be doing. Fine, that's your preference. 
Uh, it very much then involves Christian liberty. Uh, and Paul is saying, in matters of preference, I'll yield to you. In verse 20, he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew. What does that mean? He would, remember, Paul is a Hebrew. He even says, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew of the Hebrews, he's a Pharisee. Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he, he's Hebrew, he's Greek. And he under, he's a Roman citizen, so he perfectly understands all three of those cultures, and that's what he's talking about here. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. So he would have preached in Hebrew to them. He would have followed their, uh, their cultures and their uh, traditions. Maybe, maybe even traditions that aren't necessarily biblical, but he's following them when he's around the Jews for what purpose? To win them to Christ. If he walked in there to a Jewish household and was like, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Why are you doing that? You think he's going to win them to Christ? Absolutely not. Um, to them that are without the laws, without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak. What does he mean by that? What is, what is, who are the weak? The weak Christians maybe, but the weak, uh, the weak-minded who just cannot get out from under that because he, he, he refers to it often, those that are without knowledge and they don't understand what's going on, he's, he becomes to the weak as weak himself that I might gain the weak. And that's what I mean. It doesn't, it's within the bounds of God's word. So he doesn't, well, they're drinking, I'm going to go drink with them. Anything within the bounds of God's word, he will do, yielding in matters of preference, unyielding in matters of principle. He would not sin against God to save the soul of his neighbor, but he would very cheerfully and readily deny himself, no matter what it was, including pay uh, from the church that he started. Uh, the rights of God he could not give up, but he might resign his own rights, and he often, very often did for the good of others. Um, and we see examples, many examples of that, including denying himself the privilege or the right to, to even to marry. Um, and we talked about that under, uh, under marriage in, in chapter 7. No doubt Paul would have wanted that company, would have wanted that relationship, but he denies himself that for the, the sake of the churches and the spreading of the gospel. Matthew Henry says this, A heart warmed with zeal for God and breathing after the salvation of men will not plead and insist upon rights and privileges in bar to this design. Basically, he's saying, then Christian liberty, what I said before, is not, oh, I, I want to do this sin and I have the Christian liberty to do it, or I want to walk this line that's almost over the edge, but I have the Christian liberty to do it, and you can't tell me what to do. He says, a heart warmed with zeal for God, and that's key, and breathing after the salvation of men will not plead and insist upon his rights and privileges. And that's where Paul is at here. Whatever it takes to win people, I'll, I'm going to do it. As long as it's within the bounds of God's word, I will yield to your preference so that I can win you to Christ. Uh, and I wrote this down. Perfect. This is a perfect statement about the true nature and effect of what Christian liberty is. It's not a license to sin or disobey, but an allowance within the bounds of God's words to do whatever is necessary to bring men to Christ, what I just said. Uh, all right. Now, verse 24. We just got a couple minutes left, but verse 24 he then starts talking about, and remember when we went over the introduction to uh, 1 Corinthians, we talked about uh, the what games that were held here. Does anybody remember what the name of the games were that was held at, at Corinth? 
Sounds like you have a lisp when you say it. Who said that? Miss Kristen. Isthmian. Isthmian. I-S-T-H. The Isthmian games are held here, and Paul starts referring to those here in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. So, uh, and we talked about this, but he's, in the Isthmian games, they were held every off year of the Olympics. So the Olympics were every four years. The, uh, the Isthmian games were kind of like midterms. Every two years they would have these, but they would skip when there were Olympic games. Um, but he starts referring to that, which, which the Isthmian games were held in Corinth. So these people were very familiar with what he's talking about here. And it goes right back to uh, verses 20 and 21. He becomes all things to all men. So he starts speaking about this, these Isthmian games. Would he have agreed with everything that, was, that they did? Absolutely not. Because history tells us that the victors of the, they were treated as gods. They had statues made to them and people would, would maybe not worship them, but they were way held, held up uh, in culture there if they won these games. So Paul wouldn't have agreed with everything about it, but he's going to appeal to them on the bounds of the Isthmian games. And he says, so know ye not, you know that they which run in a race, everybody runs, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain that prize. Um, and I was going to say something about that, but I'm going to move on. Verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Referring back to the Isthmian games, remember the, the uh, olive leaves, uh, the pine leaves, and then they switched it to olive, a crown made out of olive leaves. That's all they got. They do it for an incorruptible crown, for the glory of uh, their country, but we an incorruptible. And then Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want to talk about that for just a minute or two. Um, before I do that, I wrote this, I found this little, little uh, clip. The fighters and wrestlers in their exercises are kept to strict diet and discipline. They keep themselves to it. They do not indulge themselves, but restrain themselves from the food they eat and so from the liberties that they use on other occasions. And should not Christians much more abridge themselves of their liberty for, the glorious, for so glorious an end as winning the race and obtaining the prize set before him? It goes back to Christian liberty. It's not so that we can sin. It's, so, it's, it's giving us a, uh, approval to withhold certain things that are nothing wrong with them but withhold them so that you can win this, this race. Now, verse 27. Somebody tell me in the last minute or two, or, or what are your thoughts on, on that verse? Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I, sh I myself should be a castaway. What is he talking about there, being a castaway? Does anybody have any thoughts? Brother Josh? I think that's a big part of it. Less, yeah, I keep my body under subjection so that uh, I, because what a waste if I do all of this. Think about an athlete. You know, if he, if he, and they had to, for 10 months, they had to train. Even to, to be allowed to, to compete in the Isthmian Games, they had to train under a trainer for 10 months. 
So what, what good does it do somebody who trains for nine months, doesn't eat any sugar, no carbs, or whatever they got to do, and then that last month just binges on Twinkies, right? Are you going to the, win the prize? Absolutely not. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. And he is not talking about, lest at the end, maybe I should lose my salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, uh, I myself should be a castaway. He's not worried about losing his salvation. He knows he's going to get there. Um, but I think he's talking about the eternal rewards that he's got coming. If I don't keep my body under subjection and I just finally at the end or close to the end just give it up, I don't want to lose those crowns. I don't want to become a castaway myself and lose that prize that I've got coming. Um, and this, so this is what I wrote down in regards to that. I don't believe Paul is worried about missing heaven, but he's concerned that after all the work on earth, he might miss the approval of his sovereign judge. So he keeps his body under subjection that he might stay on course and strive lawfully. Because he's, he talks about that. Uh, only those that strive lawfully win that prize. They go out of, the, out of the bounds of the race and end up in first place. They don't win. And that's what he's talking about. Brother Eric? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, it's, uh, if, he, if he gives up the last you know, couple years of his life, obviously his testimony is going to be run. But there are other spots where uh, Paul, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, I'm not doing this for you. This fly's got me. He says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for, for God. And I don't really care what you think. I'm going to preach hard. I'm going to do what I need to do for the sake of the gospel. But yes, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, Brother Nate, you got something? Sure. Yeah. And I think that goes to then preachers. They're not striving lawfully, you know, they're they're not following the principles and the and the commands in God's word. They're not striving lawfully. And they for sure, they might I'm not going to get into it. I was going to say they might might not even be that they never see a soul saved because God can use even them to bring someone to Christ. Um, but when they stand before God, He's not going to approve of what they did. He knows the, uh, the, um, the intentions and the thoughts of their heart, their motives. He knows exactly why they were doing what they were doing. And, and then, so Paul's looking for the approval of Christ. But yes, absolutely. Look, what would happen, and this happens often. What happens when a, when a pastor who's a big name or whatever falls? There's a lot of Christians that are really hurt by it. And uh, so I think that's part of it. But Paul is worried about He's worried about his judge um, being a castaway in the end by not keeping himself on it. All right. We're going to talk one last time about Christian liberty in, in chapter 10 next week when we get together. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. 
Father, again, I thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for bringing us here, bringing us through another week. And uh, God, I pray that we wouldn't take for granted what we have here. God, the fellowship and the, the preaching that we get, the opportunities to serve. Uh, God, not every place is that way. And I pray that you would help us to uh, truly be thankful for it. God, I am very thankful that you've uh, brought us here uh, to be a part of this ministry. And God, I pray that you would just build your people, uh, grow, help us to grow, uh, help us to understand, help us to learn. And God, I pray that as we talk this morning, that we would, in whatever areas we need to, we would deny ourselves so that your work can go forward. Uh, maybe deny ourselves the pride of knowing we uh, won an argument with somebody or uh, deny ourselves the, the, the good feeling that being mad about something brings. I pray we deny ourselves those things so that your work can go forward and that we would have a spirit of unity in this place. Pray that you would bless the service here in the next hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.